Well, good morning. Wasn't that a glorious worship package? Thanks to our team. That was fantastic. Well, I do trust you've had a good Thanksgiving. It's hard to believe that 50% of all turkeys sold in the United States for the entire year are sold at this time of frame. That's approximately 40 million whole turkeys. <laughs> and 40% of Campbell's Soup's cream of mushroom occur during this time frame as well. And if confession is good for the soul, I participated in those numbers. You know, and thankfully at our house, we not only observe daylight savings time, you know, where you set back the clocks, we also observe the day after Thanksgiving where we set back the scales 10 pounds. It's marvelous. <laughs> well, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And you're going, wait a minute, I'm so confused. You got Christmas, Thanksgiving decorations up. Uh, we're in First Peter, why are we in Ephesians? Uh, but Ephesians 5, uh, we'll give you a method of the madness here briefly. As you know, we've been observing last week and this week the, the subject of praise and gratitude. And last week we looked at our gratitude it stems from who God is, our sovereign Lord, his character, his person. Today, I'm hoping that I can accomplish showing that gratitude is a key component and where it fits in the spiritual life. It's vital. And so we're going to look at that as we go to the text. But let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we are certainly grateful, O oh Lord, that you are our God, that we can sing praise to you, and we can declare how great you are. Because not only did you place the stars, but before you did that, the text tells us, scripture tells us you were thinking of us. And Father, through history, you orchestrated the events, knowing full well that as we approach Christmas, it's this time of year, which once again we celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus. Not for the purpose of running a political campaign, but he came for the purpose of serving as a ransom for us, dying on a cross for our sins. And Father, indeed, how great you are. And Father, you've called for us to live lives that glorify you. And this text today we're going to look at demonstrates where praise or thankfulness, gratitude, where that fits in the equation. So guide us as we go to the text. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. And getting the context, if you don't know, Paul wrote this epistle from prison to the church at Ephesus, a church that uh, is really kind of the who's who of the early church. Paul had served there, John will serve there, the apostle Timothy will serve there, uh, and uh, Paul had spent quite a bit of time with the church at Ephesus. And he writes to them in verse 15, therefore be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk or overindulgence with wine, which is debauchery or recklessness or, or moral depravity. It's interesting, it's the same term used of the prodigal son and what he did with his life. It says, be filled instead by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for each other in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
He starts this section with, be careful how you live, and some English versions have walk. It's, it's how you conduct yourself. It's a term that is not foreign to this letter. In fact, starting in chapter 2, twice Paul will mention, be careful in your obedience. Walk in obedience to your calling. In chapter 4, verse 1, you're to walk worthy of your calling. 4.17, walk in holiness. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, walk in love. 5, 7, and 8, walk in light. And now he comes and he says, I want you to walk in wisdom filled with the Spirit. So we see several times, seven times to be precise, this word occurs and it serves as kind of a, uh, admonitions to a, a body of believers, encouraging them to persevere in their faith. But he starts here and he says, you need to walk in wisdom. Notice verse 15, therefore be careful. In other words, watch out. Already, I, when I said that, I know some people looked up. If I yell, watch out, no doubt, you, you'll see everyone stop and turn, uh, trying to figure out what they're to observe, right? Or to be careful of. Uh, when you're driving and you're, you want your kids say, hey, and it's like, don't yell, don't do that to me. You're making me a nervous wreck driving. I thought maybe someone was coming. Well, uh, there is something coming. And Paul's saying, listen, you need to watch out. You need to be careful. He gives us the content of the watching, and again, that is how we conduct ourselves. It's present tense. In other words, it's ongoing. This isn't a one-time deal and, oh, we got it. No, no, no. It's ongoing. And notice, he also gives the manner of our watching. He says it needs to be with wisdom. Wisdom is that divine nature and origin it's why Paul mentioned earlier in his opening remarks to the church at Ephesus, he says, I have not stopped praying for you, and I pray that, listen to what he prays for, he says here that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom, insight, and revelation in your growing knowledge of him since the eyes of your hearts have been enlightened so that he gives us the reason he's praying this you can know what is the hope of your calling the wealth of your inheritance and what is the power that is to us who believe he says, this is why I'm praying this and he comes back to that topic here in verse 15 he says listen you need to be careful how you walk and it needs to be done in wisdom now you can take me out to the woods and tell me to look for a yellow rumped warbler. But I hate to tell you, without some training and insight, I couldn't tell if it was a warbler, a wren, or a western world bird. That means nothing to me, right? There's not that training. Without wisdom, the watching out of your life, it's meaningless. Well, what am I to watch out for? What am I to look at? And, and Paul's saying, you need wisdom that comes from the Lord. It's vital in assessing your walk. And so he gives us the content, he gives us the manner, and he gives us the extent in the next verse. Notice what he says, take advantage of every opportunity. I hope you've noticed, as Paul is talking about our lives in Christ, it's proactive. <laughs> you can't just sit there and hope that all of a sudden you become a super Christian. You have to be proactive. If you don't, you're going to drift. You, you need to make the most of every moment. In fact, the phrase take advantage is to redeem or buy back. It's to, to gobble up. It's kind of like those Black Friday sales and Cyber Mondays, right? You're buying up. 
We do, and you think about it, we devote much time and energy, don't we, to the things that we feel are important, whether it's relationships, our job, our education, our hobbies, our appearance. And Paul is stating, listen, what should matter most to the believer is your life. He says, pay very careful attention to how you're living. Be wise about this. I love the Puritan, well, Jonathan Edwards. Many of you know, early American church father, if you can say that, uh, who was president of Princeton for a very short period. He, at age 20, wrote a series of resolutions for his life. If you've not read it, you need to. It's very convicting. Age 20. His 70th resolution. It's like New Year's resolutions for me, but okay. 70th one. Listen to what he wrote. Never to lose one moment of time, but to improve in the most profitable way I can. Wow. Paul is saying we need to make the most, take advantage of every opportunity. Why? He tells us in verse 16, the latter part, because the days are evil. They're troubling. They're disastrous. Why? Because earlier in chapter 2, he said, who controls these days, this earth, this age? It's Satan. The evil one is alive and well. That's why in chapter 6, he'll, he'll talk about putting on the whole armor of God. which will, Well, in fact, he says in 6.10 of Ephesians, be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For this reason, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand, listen, on that evil day. We are in the evil times. And he says, you need to be ready for this. Observe what Paul does not say. This is just as important when you're doing Bible study as, as what is stated, what is also not stated. Here it's clear. Paul does not state we are to fear the present age. In fact, in chapter 6, we know how to engage the present age of, in Ephesians. Nor do we avoid interaction and form the holy huddle far from it. But his exhortation is to walk wisely in these evil days by seizing every opportunity. So he says to live wise. And, and, and so doing in verse 17, for this reason, don't be fools. He comes back to this, the lacking of understanding, the lack of insight. He says you need to have understanding in what the Lord's will is. We're called to understand the Lord's will. Not just grasping facts. This understanding is, is an idea of embracing it with full knowledge and understanding. You say, well, how do I know the will of God? Well, we're going to get to that because he's going to highlight that in this next couple of verses. But certainly, Proverbs 1.7 states, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding in God's will. Wisdom is found in relationship with Christ. If you don't know Jesus, that's where it starts. It's the fool who says there is no God who, who will not accept that Jesus has come to die on a cross for their sins. He says, this is where wisdom is found, starting with the relationship with Christ in his word, counsel from other believers. But as I said, we're going to see here, it's also being led by the Spirit. So look what he says in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. He's referring to recklessness, debauchery. I mean, it's no secret, alcohol depresses the center in the brain that affects self-control, wisdom, discrimination, judgment, and the ability to make proper 
assessments. Excessive alcohol will undoubtedly hinder, hinder the ability to comprehend the will of God. And that's part of the problem. But Paul doesn't just give us the negative, don't do this. He says, do this. And what is this? To be filled, notice there in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the, the verb here is very important in the Greek. And I, I, this is why we have to learn this because you're going to speak it in heaven. So you might as well get ready, right? Um, and I don't, this is significant. And it, the reason is it's a present passive imperative. And you're going, oh my word, what is he saying? Just bear with me because it's very significant. What it's telling us when he says be filled with the Spirit, first of all, we know that it is a command. It is an imperative. Be filled. If you want to know the will of God, then you are going to have to surrender to the things of the Lord. It's like one of your children, and not that mine would ever do this, but they come to you and they ask for help on their homework assignment. <laughs> And you're, you start to help and you lay it out, but they begin to argue and say, well, that's not how the teacher told us. Well, I got more degrees than that teacher ever hopes to have, right? You start thinking, oh, I've been to school longer, they've been alive. You know, you start running through those things thinking you're, no, no, no. And then they say, no, it's okay, I'll just get it myself. If we want to know the Lord's will, we have to let him lead. We have to let him follow, we have to follow him. And it is a command. This is not an option for the believer. You are to be filled. We also see, because it's a present passive imperative, that it's also ongoing. It's present. What does that mean? The indwelling of the Spirit, the sealing, the baptism of the Spirit are all bestowed on a believer when he or she comes to know Christ. There are no injunctions, no commands to be baptized, to be sealed, to be indwelled by the Spirit. That happened when you became a believer. However, there are, and again, it's an, an integral part of our gift of salvation. Romans 8, Ephesians uh, 1 talks about that. But what he's filled, filled, or walking by the Spirit, is not an automatic gift at the time of salvation. It's a command for every believer to, to follow continually and, and to submit to him. In other words, it means that spiritual maturity requires time. It's continued control by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's again, ongoing. Ryrie, in his book on the Holy Spirit, states, the condition is obedience, that is being filled of the Spirit, and while prayer may be involved in meeting the demands of obedience, prayer, particularly seeking the feeling, will be of no avail in obtaining the filling of the Spirit. And he's right. Thus the Holy Spirit, you know, I've, I've heard people use the analogy, it's like a car, we'll fill it up. Or it's, it's a glass of water. And, you, you know, the Christian is not a receptacle to be emptied in order to be filled. In fact, we have the Spirit. It's not been completely emptied out. We do not use up the spirit. We don't, uh, we don't, the idea is a matter of control. That analogy doesn't work. And, and so Paul is saying, we need to be filled. It's ongoing. As we grow spiritually, we discover, I mean, let's face it, we discover new areas that need to be yielded to the Lord. It, it, it's part of that maturity process. And that's where we have to be careful because sin is what quenches the Spirit. Sin hinders the filling of the Spirit. 
And so thus, as we grow in our intimacy with the Lord, we grow in the knowledge of his will, and we grow with ever more dependence on the leading of the Spirit. They're all tied together. It's interesting, I was looking this week on best beer company slogans. I know. I hope no one does an, an audit on my computer. Right? It's, listen to some of these familiar beer lines. Adding a joy to life lets you celebrate the moments. Adorn your senses. Bringing spirit of life. Never too much of it. A taste of the good spirit. Did you hear all those? It's what the world is trying to offer in a can or a bottle. And the Lord's saying, no, no, no. Allow me to control you with the spirit. It's the spirit that gives joy, that adorns your senses, brings life. That's why Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sits in the assembly of the scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields up its fruit in the proper time, and its leaves never fell off. That is what we're looking for. And Paul says, you've got to walk in wisdom and, and, and knowing God's will. And how do you do that? You've got to be filled with the Spirit. You gotta, you, and so we see it's a command. It's an ongoing process. And as I mentioned, it's a passive voice. We don't fill ourselves. <laughs> it's the Spirit filling of the, as we see in the New Testament, it, it comes from the Lord himself and his activity in our lives. It's interesting, if you're intoxicated with alcohol, you're not in control of your faculties, you're gonna act foolishly, unable to comprehend intelligently the, the will of the Lord, as we stated earlier. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're not in control either. We relinquish our will to the Lord, and the result is acting wisely and comprehending the things of the Lord. Romans 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let the Holy Spirit work in and through you. One scholar summarizes it well. This indwelling spirit brings about mission, namely mission which is aligned with God's intended purpose, plan, in placing all things in heaven and earth under Christ's feet. Therefore, being filled with the Spirit is coming under the influence of the Spirit's power, aligning one's time and energy with the plan and purpose of God, which is the summing up of all things in Christ, who is ultimately filling all things in heaven and earth, exercising his rightful authority over all realms of life. It's a long quote, essence. It's saying, listen, allowing the Spirit to lead, allowing the Spirit to guide why is it important? Well, hopefully you've caught this. The, it's showing, being filled with the Spirit is Christ living and working in through us. It's for the sake of the gospel. And I would argue it's the purpose for every believer. Otherwise, why would Paul command it? You say, well, what does a Spirit-filled person look like? 
Thankfully, Paul answers that for us because he's going to give us four, what we call these participles. I know, uh, bear with us, th these consequences, these participles of result. There's, there's four that I've detailed here in your notes. The first of these is a spirit-filled life. Notice, exhorts and encourages one another. Notice what Paul says. And, and he says, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, there has been much ink spilled on what are psalms, songs, you know, all this, right? And you've probably heard a, a, a prolifera of views on this. I think one of the most viable is what one commentator states, psalms refer to Old Testament psalms. By the way, it's interesting, that word means to pluck, a stringed instrument. Hymns were Christological in nature, this commentator is arguing, and spiritual songs were those where the spirit was leading in worship. Regardless, we, we, are, we are called to speak, to teach one another through these venues, these three things that are listed. It's why it's so important, I would argue, in a worship service that we hear one another singing. In fact, I would argue, and I know Ben, our director of worship, and Nate, we're all in agreement. If I can't hear the congregation sing, we don't have a worship service. We got a problem, a real problem. Because we are called to speak into each other's life when we gather. And it's important, I would argue. But it's not just for corporate worship, and, and that is exalting one another. But notice, there's another participle here, and that says singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. And so the second thing that we see with a spirit-filled life is one who worships with one another in exalting our Lord. In other words, music is the means by which believers minister to one another and how they worship the Lord. And notice what Paul does here. Don't miss this in the text. He says, speaking and making, singing and making music in your hearts. Hearts was the central hub. <laughs> it, it, it's the seat of all conduct which is interesting, and it should be governed. It should be, this is true, what we should flow out of who we are. There are a few implications here in the text, isn't there? But first of all, we can see this is inclusive. You may not be able to sing in the choir. I was rejected. I'm not bitter. But you can sing. Standing or sitting in the pew and not singing could be speaking of your spirituality. Because the text says you are to be doing this if you want to be filled with the Spirit. Granted, you may not know the song and it may not be your favorite tune or you're just plain tone deaf, then don't sing real loud, but sing. Because corporate worship is important. It's vital to a congregation. I love this morning I could hear people singing. I had a very wise history professor, well, historical theologian who I had at Dallas Seminary, and he often would say, how do you tell a healthy church three ways? They're giving, which everyone said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, giving the fellowship, and the third is the singing. Where's he getting it here? Ephesians is saying this. This, this should be, and it's a reminder that, that if we wanna, remember, this is all hinging on what is a spiritual-filled life? One who can sing out. Oh yeah, you, you might, again, be tone deaf. That doesn't excuse you. 
secondly, uh, implication is it's forgiving. Don't miss this. To, we don't participate in course, corporate worship for what I can get out of it. Oh, it made me feel so good this morning. That's not what corporate worship is for. It's forgiving. It's giving back to the Lord praise. But according to this text, giving to each other. Interesting, isn't it? And then it's purposeful. Corporate worship, as we see here, I would argue, isn't designed for the unsaved. It's designed first and foremost to exalt the Lord and then to build up the saints. Warren Worsby wrote these words, and, and I love Warren Worsby, and this quote is just quintessential uh, Worsby. He says, when ministry becomes performance, then the sanctuary becomes a theater the congregation becomes an audience, worship becomes entertainment, and man's applause and approval become the measures of success. But when ministry is for the glory of God, the presence moves into the sanctuary. Even the unsaved visitor will fall down on his face, worship God, and confess that God is among us. That's what worship is about. And Paul's stating, we need to live lives that are spirit-filled. And if we're going to do that, it's seen in how we encourage one another, how we worship together. The third thing here, and watch this, it's giving thanks. And here it is. This is where this fits in the equation when we talk about gratitude at Thanksgiving time. Notice what he says, give thanks to God the Father. Don't miss the next line, for each other. <laughs> Couldn't we have just stopped with God? It had made it a lot, a lot easier. Now, you didn't sit around the Thanksgiving table I sat around, right? Or you, you, you don't have the friends that I have. You, you can fill in the, 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 the blank for each other. It's interesting, the subject of Thanksgiving in Paul's writings occur more often per line than any other Christian or pagan writing of the first century. To give thanks... It, 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 it takes up 42 lines in his letters. In fact, nine out of the 13 letters begins with gratitude. It's vital. And Paul understands it's part of being filled with the Spirit. Notice, and he says, it's always, it's, it's all the time. It isn't reserved for November the 25th. Our lives are one of gratitude. And I love it. He gives us to whom and for whom. To whom it's God the Father. And don't you love that? He throws in the Father there, that personal relationship. It's our Father. It's the one that we, we exalt in our gratitude. Recently, I was reading Washington and Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamations. If you haven't read them, you need to go back and read President uh, Washington and President Lincoln's addresses, 1789 and 1864. Both of them in their Thanksgiving address state, we are to give thanks for God's goodness and his greatness. Both of them. By the way, both of them call for repentance. We won't go there this morning. But the idea is, right, that we are to give thanks to God. And then that's to whom, for whom, Paul tells us, for each other. <laughs> it is hard to gossip criticize or harbor bitterness towards someone when you're giving thanks to the Lord for them. Is it not? Find me someone who harbors a grudge, fails to forgive, is critical, cannot rejoice about what the Lord is doing in and through a person, and you'll find someone not walking in the Spirit. Hands down. 
Ooh, Hoffa did you sound so harsh this morning. Yeah, I know, I had a lot of turkey. But Paul states that there's, there's no exceptions, there's no ifs, there's no buts. You say, well, you don't know how I've been treated. You don't know what I've gone through. Well, let me ask you, were you crucified for them? Did, did you bear all of their sin at the cross and be separated from the pre-incarnate Godhead? How that happened, I don't know. But did you do all that for them? Because Paul takes it, don't miss this, for each other in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Right at a cross there. Oh yes, there's healthy boundaries. Don't get me wrong. We can talk all about that. But we are to give thanks to God for each other in the name of our Lord. One person wrote in a commentator, no one, Terry, no one gives grace better than the person who is deeply persuaded that he needs it himself or herself. Self-righteous people tend to be critical, dismissive, and impatient with others. Again, find me someone who harbors a grudge, fails to forgive, is critical, cannot rejoice on what the Lord is doing in and through a person, and you'll find someone not walking in the Spirit. There's no way to get around it. Sorry. <laughs> it's in the text. That's why one person states the whole life of the Christian stands under the name of Jesus. It's grace. And when you've done more for them than Christ did for you, then we can talk. Oh, it won't happen, right? That's the whole point. So to whom, for whom we give thanks. And then he gives us one more participle, and that's at the very end. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence. This is that mutual respect and humility. It's caring for others as we work together. This past week, I was hanging Christmas lights outside. Um, that's an abomination of desolation. Um, and inevitable, you know, I got them all on, and I, there's warm white, and there's light, bright light, and I'm like, I don't care. They're staying up. And you start to plug them in and you realize half the strand doesn't work, so you smash it down into the shrub, hoping no one can see and the other lights are still there on the thing. I know, some of you do it. I do it. <clears throat> but, you know, you're linking them all together. And when they're done, they look, they look nice. They look pretty. And, and they're working together. And I, I know there's some folks you engage that they may not be the brightest bulb in the menorah, but they're your brother and sister in Christ. And we are working together. And we are to submit together as we function as one. Jesus stated, how will the world know if you're my follower? If we love one another. If we submit. How do we know if you're filled with the Spirit? Loving one another. Dying to self. It's not to be taken lightly because notice what he says, out of fear for Christ. It's key. It's a reverential fear that drives it. And you look at these four participles that hinge on what it means to be filled with the Spirit and you realize they're addressing routine things of life. <laughs> there's, there, there's no extraordinary feats of spiritual strength we're talking about. We're just talking, how do you live life as a follower of Christ? who wants to be filled with the Spirit, you're encouraging one another. You're worshiping one another. 
You're giving thanks for one another and you're submitting to one another. I'm so thankful to be a part of a body of believers that does that well. Keep it up. And on this post-Thanksgiving Sunday, where we're concluding our discussion of praise, I thought it was vital that we see this is how Thanksgiving fits in the equation of what it means to walk wisely in being filled with the Spirit. But let me focus on gratitude as we close. And you have this in your notes there if you're following along. But a life of gratitude rejoices in the opportunity to do the Lord's will. Now, we've been studying First Peter, and like last week, I took us to First Peter. I want to do it again. I'm taking us to the same Thanksgiving address that Paul or Peter gives, excuse me, in First Peter. And in First Peter 1, 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. We are blessed, aren't we, as followers of Jesus, to even have the opportunity to know God's plan, his will, and to be able to to be a part of it? That's the beauty of this. Brian Chapel states, if thankfulness does not move us to serve God, then we do not truly understand who our God is and what he has done on our behalf. Without gratitude for Christ's sacrificial love, our duty will become nothing more than drudgery and our God will be nothing more than a dissatisfied boss. <laughs> well stated. So a life of gratitude understanding that the beauty of being a part of God's plan, but also a life of gratitude does not reside in the realm of defeatism or complacency. I mean, it's like eating oyster dressing, you know? You see people, they just, they don't look very happy. They've been sucking on the lemons. Well, First Peter 1 says, this brings you great joy, though you may have to suffer. But you, this knowing that it's by this fire that you're being passing through, that it's refining, and it says, and it will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, we're entering one of the busiest times of the year. If you didn't get all your Christmas shopping done on Good Friday, well, you have Cyber Monday and Glorious Tuesday and whatever. They just keep extending it anymore. So let me challenge us as a body of believers Last week, our focus was on giving gratitude to God, and hopefully you were able to do some of those things. Let's focus on one another. So, instead of, you know, as we're folks running around like a turkey before Thanksgiving, send a note, send a text, an email, and express how grateful you are to the Lord for that person. Uh, careful, for some, that may be such a shocker to the recipient that you need to put a disclaimer on the bottom that says, I'm not looking for more Christmas gifts. But send out a note. Let people know, you know, I am so grateful to the Lord for you, what you do, and spell it out. Be specific. Perhaps this week, as you're engaging the clerk at the cash register or the server, thank them for serving. Thank them for their... Uh, what they're doing for you, especially this day and age, right? If you have time, say, I'd like to be praying for you. What thing can I pray for? And invite them to church. We have a Christmas Eve service. Great time to come. And then finally, I wrote down, be sure to say Merry Christmas and pray for an opportunity to share why you are so grateful this season. Our Lord has come. You don't hear it as much. And make sure you say it. Merry Christmas. Well, finally, a life of gratitude 
relishes one's relationship with the Heavenly Father. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, as it closed out that section, Peter writes, You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him, and so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because you're obtaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a quote at the bottom, I believe, by Oswald Chambers. who states, sanctification, or that which is being set apart, is simply the marvelous expression of the forgiveness of sins in a human life. But the thing that awakens the deepest well of gratitude in a human being is that God has forgiven our sin. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're going, I, I don't have anything to be thankful for. Because there's never been a point where you've come to recognition you do bad things. <laughs> and the only way to remove that albatross that hangs over your neck is to relinquish that before a holy God who says, come. You see that he can say come because he sent his son to die on a cross and pay the price for that albatross that hangs around the neck. <laughs> he says, come. And for those of us who know Christ, we have so much to be grateful for as we seek to guard our walk and, and seek to be filled with the Spirit, part of that process is being thankful for one another. And so wrapping up our Thanksgiving season, going into Christmas, we have much to thank the Lord for, for who He is, but we also have much to thank the Lord for because of one another. <laughs> Father, we thank You. You are a great God who, who has lavished Your grace on us so beautifully seen at Calvary, but even in Bethlehem. The next Sunday we enter that Christmas series and it's just a reminder once again that salvation was impossible, humanly speaking. We needed you to enter time and space and you did. And you sent your son, the God-man, to come and have his diapers changed so that as he grew, he could become the one who paid the price for our sins. And Father, because of that grace, we are called to extend that grace to others. We are to walk in grace. And Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for one another, the blessings that come. Thank you for this church family. And Father, may we be proactive and expressing our gratitude, proactive in pointing others to you. It's in Jesus' name.